0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, and
1: And thank you for coming to Grace Community Church. Uh, I've been a little under the weather, so um, if I go off, forget things like my microphone that will partially explain it Uh, if you're here for the first time thank you so much for attending we are glad that you chose to be here with us today and hopefully uh, this will be a, a a wonderful time of worship for you I want to ask you a question if you were to list the top 10 chapters in the Bible what would be on your list Top 10, now look, I know this is subjective, right? Because your list may be different than my list, but there are a lot of chapters that we would all, I think, pretty much agree on. Some of them, some of these that I'm going to list, just think about Genesis 1, that's got to be one of the top 10 chapters in the Bible. Genesis 3, Genesis 12 and 15 with the Abrahamic covenant. Exodus 20, what's in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. Um... Psalms, my goodness, where do you even start with the Psalms? But it's certainly 1, 23, 119, you could say those, you could make a case for any of those being in the top 10. Uh, Then you've got um, Isaiah 53 that we saw a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, John 1, John 3, or almost any chapter in John could make that list, John 8, John 10... John 17, on and on you could go with John. Acts 2, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13, Hebrews 11. You get the point, I'm well past 10. And we just think about these chapters in scripture that say so very much. Today's message comes from a chapter that you may never have thought about putting in that particular chapter group but it truly belongs in the rarefied air that we've been uh breathing in just the last few minutes i think you'll agree as we read our text today isaiah 55. we're rounding the bend to a uh, a lengthy home stretch of messages in a series about jesus command for us to take the gospel to those who don't know him don't know jesus The title of which is Engage the World with the Gospel. The message today examines God's role as we've already been thinking about considerably in the music and in, 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 in the run up to the message today, thinking about the role of our sharing God's word and the power of God's word in the gospel. Now, it may sound redundant to say that there's power in the word in our sharing of the gospel because there is no gospel apart from sharing. But it's amazing how often we depend on a clever presentation of the gospel on the one hand for people to come to Christ or on the other hand, we feel like a failure if we share Christ and then the other person doesn't believe. I hear it over and over and over again. Oh, I just want my my parents, I want my sibling, I want my friend, I want my husband or wife to know Jesus. I've just got to say this, I've just got to do that so that they'll believe. And then you hear all the time, well, if so-and-so would just get saved. What if LeBron James would just get saved? What if Donald Trump would just get saved? He thinks he is, but what if Donald Trump would just... <laughs> Just think of what could happen for the Lord. God doesn't need that. His ways, as we're going to see today, are entirely different than our ways. And you are not going to be able to convince somebody with a clever word here or there. It's the power of the word that brings people to Jesus Christ. It's been said several times in this series, and it's time to say it again. Sharing the gospel. Is successful evangelism. Sharing Jesus is successful evangelism. How can we know this? Because God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. Be blessed as the truth of Isaiah 55 washes over you. In respect for the word that we now read, I will ask you to stand as I read Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Did you not hear Keisha talking about this this morning? We didn't plan that. This is the way the Lord reminds us about the truth of his word. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness To the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Father, we long for that day when the mountains and the hills break forth into singing and the trees of the field clap their hands and no more thorns but only trees that give life and produce food and remind us That we are in the kingdom of God. Lord, we long for the day when Jesus returns. We pray that as we think about the time between now and then, that you will give us hearts that long, as Paul said in Romans 9 and 10, longing for our people, Lord, and that being all the people of the earth to come to Jesus. Give us that heart that can't help but share. And then, Lord, as the gospel goes forth, we pray that you will help us to leave it in your hands. But by all means, give us a heart to share the gospel. Pray that your word would find its mark this morning. And you would accomplish what you desire for it to. in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. My goodness, just think about the themes in this chapter, the invitation for salvation, for all people to come for salvation, the grace of God's gift of salvation, belief and unbelief, the blessings of salvation, priorities and covenant, the omniscience, omnipotence of God, the blessing of repentance, the wisdom of God. The faithfulness of God, the power and life-giving properties of Scripture, redemption, restoration, and the promise of eternal life. And I'll stop there, but I promise you there's a lot more where that came. There is much more in this chapter. The primary focus for this morning is the power of Scripture to accomplish God's purpose of salvation. And although we are privileged to play an important role in the sharing of the gospel, God does the saving, but we play a part in his ways. David Calvert has spent years, David Calvert has spent two or three years thinking about Isaiah 55 10 through 11. This year he's writing a uh, doctoral thesis on speech act theory that is informed. With this text. And so I wanted you to hear from David. We're going to talk <clears throat> with David just a little bit. So David, what is it about Isaiah 55, 11? So shall my word be, go, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose shall succeed in the thing for which I sent
0: in speech act theory. Tell us about this. Well, the most important thing to me and immediately jumps out in this particular text is the fact that God is a communicating being. And that's a huge foundation for what it means to talk about the gospel. The creator of all things has chosen to reveal himself to us and to do it through speech. So, So the Trinity is a communicative being. The Father speaks. The Son embodies God's communication. And the Holy Spirit brings about that which God intends in his speech. And that's what this verse tells us.
1: So... I, I think I jumped the gun a little bit. You wanted yeah. to give that introduction. Tell us about speech act theory. What is that? We came across this. I don't know if, if you discovered it the same time I did a few years well, ago. Yeah, i heard of, about it before. But.
0: So I could partly blame my dissertation studies on Brad because he uh, invited me to participate in, in reading uh, the Christian Faith, a giant book by uh, Michael Horton. It's his Systematic Theology and so Brad and several other pastors, uh, we were all reading it together. We would read the chapter, and we'd come together as stick boy and try to chew on it together because we needed each other to get through it. Um, we we and, chewed on other things, too. Well, yeah, we always <laughs> go off on tangents and, and have the free samples. But there was, um, there was something in Horton, and I'll, I'll mention him in a second, that, that led me on this, on this path. So we encountered it at the same time. So speech act theory is this really interesting uh, linguistic philosophy that helps us understand communication. Um, it specifically helps us understand what we do with our words. So it has three parts. The okay, first part is the utterance, the, the things that I'm actually saying. That's the locution. And then there's the illocutionary act. And it all this is the heart of it, this fancy word. The illocutionary act is what I intend to do with what I'm saying. And then finally, there's the perlocutionary response. So whatever the hearer does in response to what I just said. So for example, if I say, uh, it, it's raining outside, the utterance, the locution is, it's raining. But the illocutionary act, the, the way that I said that, uh, I'm intending to communicate something to you. So the perlocutionary effect would be when you uh, grab your umbrella, maybe, or when you go find your jacket, or maybe you run outside to roll your windows up real quick. Or maybe you ignore me altogether like my kids. Uh, that's speech act theory in a nutshell. The, the thing that's said, the way that we say it, and what we intend with what we say, and then how the response is to that. What we do with our words and how people respond.
1: That, that was a very apt analogy today, yeah. by the way. Um, and speech act theory, we, we see it played out in the Trinity.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tell us about that. So that's basically how I encountered it in the Christian faith. So Kevin Van Hooser, who is an important theologian, and Michael Horton, who we just mentioned, they're both guys from whom I've learned so much uh, in my studies. And both of them use speech act theory as an analogy for the Trinity. And you've got to be careful with Trinitarian analogies because there's a lot of them that break down really fast. Or just actually heresy. So the Trinity is not ice or an egg. So let's that on the table. Uh, but, but there is a Trinitarian analogy here in speech act theory. So here's what Van Hooser says. He says, Scripture depicts God as a speech agent or as a speaker, as a word, and as the breath that carries that word to others. He also says, what God does with Scripture is covenant. With humanity. By testifying to Jesus Christ, that's an elocution. And by bringing about the reader's mutual indwelling with Christ, that's the perlocution, through the Holy Spirit's power. So Horton then says it like this, and this is the simplest way to put it. It's the Father speaking in the Son and bringing the effect of that speech to fruition through the agency of the Spirit. So the Father speaks in the Son and brings about fruit through the Holy Spirit's power. So in my work, I'm actually going to be applying speech act theory to what we do in corporate worship. So what is happening when I say the things that I say from the microphone? What is happening when Brad preaches? What is happening when people pray in corporate worship? I'm really interested in what we're doing with our words. But I love this Trinitarian foundation, and it's rooted right here in Isaiah 55, verse 11. It's a clear building block for knowing that God, what God says, he will bring about. <laughs> He is faithful to his promises, to his commands, and to the truth that he speaks to us. Thanks so much, David. Is there
1: anything else you want to say? Uh, We are really, we're we're grateful that you're doing this uh, doctoral work. And and I've told you before, David is interacting with some of the top theologians in the world, not just in the country, but in the world there. They're reviewing his stuff and saying, no, that's not good enough. You have to. Now, just kidding. They're very impressed <laughs> with the stuff that he's doing. And so we're blessed in Christ Community Church in and Andrew to have uh, this, the, the benefit of your study. So thank you so much. And I, I think about this often, about how so much of the academic world most of us will look at and just say, oh, uh, just, it, it's very important. It's impo- It's huge that it, it, it helps us to think about the things at the levels that we need to in the proper ways. It, it, it helps us to avoid heresy. So that's I'm glad you mentioned that. It's, it's very important. But thank you. Thank you for all of your work. He's worked hard and we, the staff will tell you we've been blessed. By all right, it. Thank you. And the, only other thing and I the would church say
0: is thank you to all of the elders and to ultimately the, the whole church family for supporting me through this process. Like I could not do this without my wife. Being 100% behind me, I could not do a PhD without uh, the elders being in full support, and I certainly couldn't do it without the constant encouragement that I get from just normal people within the church family. Uh, So thank you so much for being a a support and a foundation for me as I see the light at the end of the tunnel this October. Um, So thank you for getting me this far.
1: Thank you, David, so much. Um, We when we would meet at Sick Boy, it would take all of us to figure out Michael Horton. I mean, he's, he's quite, we hadn't thought in the ways that he, he, he thinks at that particular point we hadn't. And obviously, David took it and went a lot further uh, with it. Uh, so, David mentioned the fact that the Trinity is seen in Isaiah 55. I mentioned this a lot lately, that in the Old Testament, people didn't see the Trinity. They didn't see... a a suffering Messiah. They knew there was something like Isaiah 53, but they didn't get it fully. But now in the New Testament days, we've got the formula. They would put two and two together and come up with five or six. Some would get close to four, but they never got all the way there. We can look back now and see that formula. And that's what David was saying about Isaiah 55. The Trinity is very much at, at work in this passage. So, In the same way that that the Trinity is now clear to us in the Old Testament. uh, Because of our uh, understanding of the New Testament truth about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the gospel of grace is clear all the way through the Old Testament. Most people look at the Old Testament and say it's all about law. If you kept the law... You were good if you didn't keep the law, you were in big trouble. But then in the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. But the fact is, it's always been about believing the promises of God. It's about the grace of God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If Isaiah 55 were in the New Testament with just (coughs) the slightest adjustment to the wording, it would be the very place to which we would send people to say, look, you want to know how to share Christ? You want to know what you should, should be doing and how the process works? Go to this particular chapter. But knowing what we know, we see that the gospel in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah, and there's no reason we should fail to receive instruction from this important chapter. So here's the way that we're going to proceed from this point. I'll give you the three points for the message and offer a brief comment for each one. Locution, illocution, No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to. We won't do that. It works out along the way all through here. But I'll give the three points, offer a brief comment for each point and then we'll work our way through the text and at the end we'll come back to those three points and just see how it all fits together. I hope you'll be thinking all week about Isaiah 55 and the privilege it is to share God's free gift of salvation with the world. So first, make certain that you emphasize God's grace to sinners through Jesus when you present the gospel. Probably the most difficult aspect of evangelism is just getting the nerve to get started. Now, again, some of you you just witness you just do you're, you're you're given the gift of evangelism at a higher level we're all called to evangelize but some people are just given a gift to, to take it at a higher level i've spent time with kathleen mckinney this week and you know anytime you're around any of the McKinneys, you you're going to hear about sharing the gospel people who do that very well with other people the, and then you're going to hear about their uh times in sharing christ not just from a very humble place of gratitude for what God's done for us and a desire to share with other people. So the difficult part, though, for most of us is to just get past that initial starting with sharing the gospel. Probably the most frustrating aspect of evangelism after you have shared the gospel is people's inability to understand it, even though you've said it in the simplest way. Of ways I've talked about this before you share the gospel and you say now do you understand and they say oh yes you just do the do the best you can hope everything will be all right just hope that you can be good enough to get to heaven just think about some ways to counter that misunderstanding um, like you know I used to think that but then I, I realized that scripture says that He saved me. He saves me. There's nothing I can do. <clears throat> There's nothing that <coughs> I, I, I can do to save myself. It's impossible. Salvation is not by works of righteousness that I have done, but according to His mercy. He saved me. That's Titus 3, 5. But my goodness, it's all over the New Testament. There are plenty of verses that you can share with people. And just say, well, what do, you, how do you, what do you think God's saying there about my ability to save myself? Emphasize repentance, as our text does in Isaiah 55, we'll see in a bit. And then share the gift that God offers to everyone who hears and believes. Second, God's way of salvation is far above man's attempts to get to God. Our ability to understand God's mind was distorted by the fall. Distorted beyond any ability to to discern his thoughts unless he reveals those thoughts to us. If he doesn't reveal himself to us and if he doesn't make us understand, we won't understand. I spoke of frustration a little bit ago when you tell the gospel to someone and they don't don't get it. Look, I, I know you know this, but just remember... If God had not opened your heart and your mind and your eyes to his word and his truth, you would still not understand. You just would be thinking, well, I, I don't get it. I don't, that doesn't make sense. I just think you just got to be a good person. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. Thank God for his grace and his ways are not our ways. Third, when you have shared God's word, trust him to accomplish his will is God's word that powerful that he will accomplish whatever he wants through it think about this from Hebrews eleven three. 3 by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was made was not made out of things that are visible God spoke the universe into existence he just said let there be, and there was. In the beginning, God created. He just said, Let it be. <clears throat> there were times like when He created Adam, He, he, he fashioned him out of the clay of the, of, of the ground. But He just spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. And He does the same thing by bringing spiritual life to those who were dead spiritually. He speaks them into his family. That's how powerful his word is. That's what David was explaining. So let's look at Isaiah 55. For all the world, verse 1 looks like an open invitation to anyone to believe. And and to receive the delights that God offers. And in one respect, that is exactly what it is. This is an invitation. Come and eat. Come and enjoy the blessings of God. If we were reading from the Hebrew, though, if we all understood the Hebrew language and we had the Hebrew up here, we would recognize that these words of invitations are actually imperatives or commands. In fact, there are 12 imperatives in the first five or seven verses. Let me see. I just turned that page way too quick. First seven verses. The first word in the chapter in the Hebrew, instead of come, could be translated, hey! I love that When I saw it the other day. Look, I, I read several commentaries, and they say, a lot of the guys say that Really, it's, it's kind of a whoa or oh, listen. But in the context, hey, is better. <clears throat> God's trying to get our attention. Then he makes an astonishing promise. You can enjoy the richest blessings that are available to mankind. And you can have them for free. In fact, your money is no good here. But the goods are available. You can receive my richest blessings. You will not receive them through good works though. You'll receive them by believing me. Come and drink. It is very much like look and live from John 3 just a few weeks ago. Isaiah 55 is situated at the end of a section that comprises 16 chapters. So, here's what I want to say about those chapters that we started off with. This chapter, this chapter, this chapter. None of them really should be read just strictly as a chapter in and of themselves. They're always in context. Always. So, 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful love chapter, is between chapters 12 and 14 that ain't so beautiful at all. Because the Corinthians were having a mess with spiritual gifts. They they were using spiritual gifts to elevate themselves. And um, so in 1 Corinthians 13, he gave them a very hard and direct word about love. We read it at weddings all the time and it's beautiful, but it's hard too. So Isaiah 55 is in the context of the book as a whole. Now, here's the way I want to explain this. First of all, I told you last week, I think I I lost my computer, and I'm trying to get used to a new computer, and the AV people are helping me like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be in real trouble. But I can't do the the graphs and the charts like I would like on on that, but I can do this, so I'm going to do this. Over here... Here's the way Isaiah works. Verses 1 through 39 are right here. And most of this talk is about judgment. You have sinned. You have failed to keep the law. The covenant that I made with you through Moses, through the law of Moses, you have failed to keep. And you're going into captivity. You're going into Babylon. You're going to be taken away from this place. Then, over here, we've got verses 40 to 66. And over here, it's mostly comfort. Now look, there's some comfort over there. There There's some wonderful promises in Isaiah 7 and 9 of Jesus being born. (laughs) But then over here, uh, there is some judgment. But for the most part, that's judgment. This is comfort. And Isaiah, even inside of that, Isaiah 40 to 55, there's a section about the servant. The servant of the Lord. Now clearly sometimes the servant of the Lord refers to the the nation of Israel. But often it has to be an individual. It's being talked about like Isaiah 52 and 53 that we read not long ago. It's, It's clearly the suffering servant. And that made no sense to anybody. So... It was going to be many years later before Isaiah would fully be understood. After Jesus in fact and after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come and made clear to us what he was saying all along, what the Lord was pointing to. Some of the people when they went into captivity in Babylon would have taken comfort from these words, but they could have had no idea of the depth and the impact of those words. that They went far beyond just pulling people out of captivity uh, back to the land of Jerusalem. In fact, these words, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come buy wine and milk without money and without price, sound a lot like Jesus talked to the woman at the well in John 4. And also in John 7, again we read about not many years ago, or not many weeks ago. Um, It just seems like years ago at this point in life, or maybe it's the other way it's supposed to be. But we see Jesus constantly saying, I will give you waters and you'll never be thirsty again if you believe in me. In verse 2, God asks how the people can be content with less than him. That's a good question for us, isn't it? the things this week that have been so appealing to you, so attractive to you, that you so desired to do, that you did that instead of drink from the living waters. Why do people spend money for that which will not nourish and sustain them? You know... (laughs) People are actually often open to the gospel when no longer uh, they're told or they can no longer make this life work for them. No longer will they be able to, to bring it all together and manage this life. When everything is going so well for so long, that's the way it is for us, isn't it? We've been there. We, we just know that it's, that it's exactly what God wants. And then, or we think it's what God is doing in his blessings for us. And then all of a sudden it falls apart. God must be pleased with me because look at how successful I am. But when it falls apart and when you no longer have the ability, the, the idea of managing life is no longer viable to you then it becomes <clears throat> a lot more difficult well with my new computer it's gotten the, the pages all out of whack if I even have the pages here so this is gonna be interesting verse 3 and a lot of people would say well that's what you ought to be doing preaching anyway incline your ear come to me hear That your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. I'm I'm reasonably sure he's not talking about this David that we heard from uh, this morning. There's an important word here. Listen. Incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. God is saying, I'm going to tell you something that is going to change your life listen to me in in the new testament when the lord says when jesus is talking to the to the people and he says let him who has ears to hear listen let the one who has ears to listen hear or one who has ears to hear hear he's essentially saying that if you are so inclined to receive the word of god then listen up in in, in the hebrew understanding of Hearing. It's a lot more than just hearing, and even a lot more than just hearing and understanding. If a person, if you come into your to, to school on, on Monday and the teacher says, okay, here's the homework. Let's do the homework. Get your homework out. And somebody says, wait a minute, I didn't know we had homework. And she says, but didn't I tell you on Friday? And the rest of the class says, yes. And that you, this person may say, I didn't hear you. Well, that's kind of like, those who don't hear the Lord. Or it could be that you heard what the teacher said, but you didn't do it anyway because other things were more important. The idea of hearing in the, hearing the gospel is to believe it and obey it. When God tells you something, you get it all the way. And you obey. Verse 4. Behold, I will make him a witness to the peoples. A leader... And commander for the people's so name. He's already invoked David's name. And he's going to come back in just a few moments. But he's talking about somebody more than David. Clearly. He's talking about Jesus. And Isaiah 53 has been pointing to the servant. To the suffering servant. And how can we buy without price? Because the price has already been paid in Isaiah 53. Verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Look, things are not always what they appear. And more and more Christians are going to be marginalized in our society. I'm going to wrap up this series in a month or two by talking about gospel community. We're going to need each other more than ever. But the truth of of verse 5 is that one day people are going to realize that any people that know the Lord are people that have answers. It's not the answers that they have, but the answers that God has through them. Verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the un- unrighteous man. His thoughts. Look, this is a call for repentance. This is a call for people to come to the Lord, not just saying, hey, what? Free food? Cool. It's not like going to Sam's, you know, and going around getting, and having lunch, eating all the different places that they have. It's, it's, it's the Lord calling us to himself and saying that you need to forsake your ways. Don't live for yourself anymore. I'm offering this water that will allow you to never thirst again. But you must come to me. Listen, call on your friends. Call on people that you love to to call out to Jesus. If if you find yourself sitting by the bed uh, of one in a hospital who is dying, someone you love very much, encourage them to call out to the Lord. Even if they're in a coma, who knows what they hear or don't hear. Just say, call out to the Lord. He'll save you from your sins. Call out to Jesus. It was that word alone. That word alone. That saved me. The word that came from Jim Aycock to my friend Glenn Love to me. Call out to Jesus. Don't just go to God. Go through Jesus. And I called out. And then according to Romans 10.13, the truth of Romans 10.13 was realized in my life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe it. Encourage others to believe it. God is a merciful God. I have seen several late life conversions that seem for all the world to be genuine. I've seen it a lot these last three or four years. So don't ever give up on someone. Encourage them to call on the Lord. Verses 8 and 9 remind us that God's way of salvation... Is not the way that we would choose. God's way is a theology of the cross. Set up against man's theology of glory. And what that means simply is this. Man seeks to obtain glory. By doing good works and getting to God. It's like climbing the ladder to heaven. And God says you will never be able to get the ladder runs out. Believe me. And it's going down and you're going down with it. But God descends to us, he comes to us and speaks to us in the most, from the most unlikeliest of places, the cross. God's word to you is the cross of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is in him as our sacrifice. That's Isaiah 53, made clear to us by the Holy Spirit who revealed the Father's plan of salvation in the sacrifice of His Son. So, look, I I can't tell you how many times I've read this, this text, and I've always thought of this just as going along in life, my ways are not your ways, but He's specifically talking about salvation here. There is full application, though, isn't it, for the craziness of life. Why is this happening to me? Why is that? The Lord says, my ways are not your ways. You just trust me. All of this is about trust. Trust me. Recognize that I'm doing this for your good. Do you remember a few verses ago? He has glorified you. We can't achieve glory in ourselves. We can't make ourselves glorious. We try. But God glorifies us. And when people see that, they're attracted. One of the things that I want to talk about with this gospel community is how much attention we need to give to each other. It's one of the best evangelistic tools we have. is to love each other, care for each other. People see and are attracted. And when you trust God at this level, That whatever's happening in your life, He knows best. People see that, and they're attracted. You can always trust God. Then verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." Do you believe this, that God's word will always accomplish what He intends for it to? In Isaiah's time, rain determined the difference between life and death. We can somehow survive drought conditions for some length of time. Um, We can store food, but in that day, man, if the rain didn't come, you were in big, big trouble. It determined the difference between life and death. So does God's word for all people of all time. But the stakes are eternal, not for this life only. In fact, we could say that the spiritual stakes are infinitely higher than our physical well-being. I mean, it's difficult for us to truly believe that it's easy to talk about it until our physical well-being is in question. God's word though is 100% reliable. When you believe God's promise to you, you will then have life. First Peter 1.23 puts it this way. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's why this word brings life. It's alive. It's living and it's imperishable. It is incorrupted, uncorrupted in any way, incorruptible. God's word to the people, God's accomplishment of his predetermined purpose It's a prominent theme all the way through the book of Isaiah, over here, over here. It's all through Isaiah. We're told in Isaiah 55 that God accomplishes his purposes through his word. No doubt that was in the apostle John's mind when he wrote the first words in his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In fact, I thought seriously about spending time next week in John chapter 1, but... I'll just mention it at this level. Think about John chapter 1 in light of Isaiah 55. John was referring, of course, to Jesus. God's final word of salvation for His creation. When you have shared God's word with the lost, when you have shared Jesus with those who don't know Him, then you have done all that you can do. You can pray and it's it's an amazing thing that God invites us to pray and in fact uses our prayers as a part of His plan just in the same way He uses our witnessing to others as a part of His plan to bring them to Christ. But God's Word will accomplish what it's supposed to. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch, he had the word, but he needed someone to explain it to him. When you've done that, when you've shared the gospel with somebody, you have done all you can do. It's up to God. For some, the gospel of life is life. But for those who refuse to believe, it is condemnation. And as difficult as this may be to consider, God uses you in both directions. When you share the gospel truth with people, Whether they believe or not is not up to you. And make sure that you're not the one who is trying to create life or to pronounce condemnation. That's not your job. That's God's job. Your job is simply to share the word. It is God who saves. It is God who judges. Well, at the very end, verses 12 to 13 point To the joy of all creation with the mention of returning to the Lord at the command of His word. All creation, ruined by man's sin, will one day rejoice at the return of Jesus and the restoration of creation to its original state of perfection. Have you heard this recently? If you were here last week from Romans 8, you heard the exact same thing. God's word is consistent all the way through. It's not two stories, Old and New Testament, it's one story with two parts. And this is what it's going to be one day. One day it'll all make sense. And we have the privilege to share this wonderful news with the world. In review, just quickly, these three points again, the points of our message. Make certain that you emphasize God's grace to sinners through Jesus when you present the gospel. Don't let anybody think that they can be good enough to be saved. They can't. God says, come and drink. And he says it in a commanding way. He doesn't say, hey, it'd be really cool if you'd just come. He says, come. It's a command. Drink. Get this. And what are you doing? What are you doing spending money for that which is not going to satisfy you? It's not going to sustain you, not going to nourish you. Second, God's way of salvation is far above man's attempts to get to God. Look, 1 Corinthians tells us to the Greeks, uh, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. People think that the gospel is crazy when they really hear it. Like, you're kidding, right? No. No. God's ways are above our ways. Recognize though, so. and, and by the way, recognize this, what, another difficulty in sharing the gospel, not just fear of what people will think of me, but fear that I won't have the right words to say. When God puts you in the place to witness to someone, it doesn't matter how little you have in common with that person. The Holy Spirit has pulled all of this together and He's using you. For that person, his ways are far above your ways. And don't think, well, if I were the Lord, I wouldn't have chosen. You're not the Lord. He put you there. So just trust him. And then when you have shared God's word, trust him to accomplish his will. What is that will? Well, we know that he says it's not his will that any perish. We can't understand the ways of the Lord, though. We can't understand why some people get saved and some don't. And how many times have you seen the last... If if you had to pick 20 people that you think would get saved and put the top 10 that you think would and the top bottom that you think wouldn't... Number 20 is the one that gets saved as often as not. Isn't it? You just don't know what God's going to do, when He's going to do, how He's going to do it. Share His Word and trust Him. To accomplish His will. Because as David told us earlier, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's who's working. That's who is working in in the salvation of souls. But He's using us to share the Word. And as Romans 10 tells us, if we don't tell them, they won't hear. So we've got a job to do. And then, let Him do His job. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for bringing us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I never want to assume the gospel. Assume that everyone in the sound of my voice, under the sound of my voice this morning, knows For sure that when they die, they're going to heaven. And So, Lord, if there are those here that don't know Jesus, I pray that they would call out to him in repentance and faith. Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. Save me. And then, Father, give us courage to share that word. Give us opportunities this week to share the gospel. And then as those opportunities arise, I pray that you would give us a boldness to proclaim your word. Help us to do it as clearly as we can and then recognize that they won't understand apart from Jesus, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Father, it's a beautiful plan that you have and the deeper we go into the gospel, the more we understand how blessed and privileged we are both to receive the good news, believe it, and also to share it. Make us a light in a dark world. May the light of Jesus shine through us. In whose name we pray, amen.
0: Uh, Today's benediction uh, we take out of Romans. Paul uh, instructs us how we should uh, act as we are out in the world engaging uh, people in the gospel. So out of Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you with one voice may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.